The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review nights 11 through 14 of G1 Climax 33 and cover all its news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuitbucks.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and features like dark mode, improved transitions and layouts, custom and shared plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpw.ext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Here. We're getting through it. Very soon the G1 Climax will be over. And, you know, another one bites the dust. Yeah, (laughs) pretty crazy to think that the tournament's uh, almost over. I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't get me wrong, it's been good, but I'm I'm, I'm ready to have my life back. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we jump into the tournament, uh, last Wednesday we were in attendance for AEW Dynamite episode 200 from the Yingling Center here in Tampa, Florida, formerly known as the, the Sun Dome. What you uh, think of the show? Uh, I mean, I don't. The show was good. <laughs> I don't I don't have any uh any um great thoughts to, you know, I don't have any deep insights, you know. It, it was a good show. Uh I got my tickets comped, so you know, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, you're you're in a little VIP section. Too too good to sit with the rest of us. Nah, you guys had better seats than I did. <laughs> but um I don't know. I mean, it was a good show. I don't I don't I haven't really been watching AEW, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like it's happening. Cool. I went to the show. It was good. Um, better than a lot of the dynamites that I've watched over the past like five or six months. But um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I thought the show was great. Um, the the 
Moxley threw out Penta and uh, Trent. That was absolutely nuts uh, matchup. Lucha Bro or uh, Vikingo and Commander against Aussie Open. That was tight. Uh, Carvera, Sammy against Jericho and Konosuke Takeshita. That was a good, good matchup. So, yeah, it was a pretty fun Dynamite. Elite versus uh, Jarrett and his crew. Yeah, no, the show was very fun. Um, every match was good to great. Uh, you know, it was cool being there for women's title change yeah. uh, with the confetti and everything. Got to see RVD, got to see the Hardy Boys. You know, some fetism going on there. <laughs> I, but, uh, I know a lot of people aren't really excited about like ECW in 2023 and RVD coming in, but I'm a huge RVD mark. He was my guy like in the mid 2000s for WWE, and so I don't know. I, I marked out when he when he came out. I, I yeah, Rob Van Dam is one of my all time favorite wrestlers. Um, when he first came, my favorite period of his career is the early days of his run in WWE specifically. I mean, like, don't get me wrong his best stuff is in ECW, but like seeing him wrestle the rock and stone cold and the undertaker and Jeff Hardy. And you know, that, that entire era was pretty cool. And, um, you know, there's, they had me convinced for a little bit there that they were going to put the big strap on him. So did I do. I thought that man was going to beat triple H. It took a, it took a, a, a little while. And then, you know, the, the marijuana got involved and, uh, ruined the plans, whatever. But, uh, you know, it was a good show. Yeah. Well, uh, well actually, before we uh, jump into G1, I've got, we've got to do our July match of the month and a wrestler of the month, which we just uh, finalized here. So, uh, Josh, want to let the people know who our wrestler of the month is. So there were a lot of really strong candidates, but once we did a lot more digging and kind of introspection, it really became a two-man race. And uh, unsurprisingly, it, it could have gone either way. It could have been a 1A, 1B. I mean, we've never split the award for the month, but I feel like if there ever was a month, this could have been that month. And it really came down to Will Ospreay and then just edging him by a nose. The wrestler of the month is Kazushiko Okada. And um, I mean, both guys had stellar, stellar months. Both guys had stellar runs through the G1 Climax. I think the big difference maker for why we picked Okada versus Osprey, the, the truth of the matter is Osprey was actually uh, a, a bit more consistent over the course of the month and actually had the higher average match rating, just slightly higher. And this is both, you know, with Jeremy's ratings, cage match and, and observer newsletter and everything like that. But the difference is Okada, even though he, didn't have the same average match rating that Osprey had. He had one match that kind of brought him down. By and large, his overall production, he was peaking higher and had two of the highest rated matches in the month. And you kind of combine that with his win-loss record and the story in the B-block kind of centering around him sort of felt like he was the standout guy this month. So, you know, by by a hair, Okada over Osprey. Yeah. Really close month, and it was also very close for the match of the month. Uh, a lot of great matches, including, you know, going back to the beginning of the month with uh, the Independence Day shows. You had the uh, death, death matches with uh, Mox and um, Desperado. Yeah, Desperado, and also the tag match. Um, 
who's it was Desperado and Kajun Kasai against Moxley and Homicide. That yep. match was also great too. And then also you had a lot of stuff from the G one. Okada Osprey was great. Okada Taichi, a lot of great mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, ultimately we came down with the vote of Tomohiro Ishii versus Eddie Kingston, which I think is universally the best match of the month. Uh, across again, cage match, a lot of observer ratings, uh, my ratings. A lot, a lot of people had that match as one of the top matches of the tournament. So that yeah. is our July match of the month. Yeah, that was a tough, tough call for both both categories this month. And uh, one thing I want to point out, I we went years where Okada never won any awards for Wrestler of the Month because of how infrequently he was defending the title, you know, uh, and having big matches. But this year he's had several months where he was Wrestler of the Month. So big year for Okada. Yeah, yeah, it's been awesome to see. All right, so let, let's jump into G1 now, and we'll kind of go over nights 11 and 12 pretty quickly because I feel like people want us to talk about uh, 13 and 14, the, the final A block and B block nights, and we can uh, try and give some predictions for the quarterfinals. We know we've got the final C and D block nights happening um, after we record this show. So we'll kind of give some predictions of where we think that's heading and give some predictions for the quarterfinals. Yeah, we definitely need to have some discussion about the uh, scenarios that are remaining because we didn't do a great job. I don't feel like the last couple weeks laying out the A and the B block scenarios, but now we, we have pretty clear understanding. You know, it's not going to be a high level discussion, but, you know, the, the information's out there. So, yeah. So uh, let's start back with looking at night 11. Um So I'll just kind of run through the results and maybe we can kind of give some quick thoughts about what happened on this night. Sure. Uh, we had uh, Hikaleo defeating Kaito Kiyomiya, Great Okan defeating Yoshihashi, Ren Narita defeating Chase Owens, El Fantasmo defeating Taichi, Sonata defeating Gabe Kidd, Tangaloa defeating Will Ospreay by countout, Yota Suji defeating Shota Umino, and then the main event, Kazuchika Okada defeated Kenta. Yeah, so, uh, you know... Going into the A block final night, uh, there were quite a few different scenarios that sort of existed on paper. And, you know, it, it sort of came down to this situation. First and foremost, Sonata had already punched his ticket to be, and this was something we had speculation about last week. Maybe we didn't do a great job researching, but Sonata was already the 1A winner of the block. So it opened up a door where a few different things could have happened. And that final match of the evening, which was uh, Hikaleo versus Shota Umino, that was pretty much like... We're talking about uh, Night 11 first. Oh, my bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long week. I'm all over the place. Um, Yeah, for this evening, I mean... Not one of the strongest cards of the of the show necessarily, but there were a few standout matches. Uh, Yota Suji and Shota Umino um, being one of those matches was especially great. And uh, Sonata versus Gabe Kidd, I thought was pretty good. But by and large, the rest of the show, you know, maybe not necessarily something that I was, uh, you know, overly enthusiastic about. Yeah, I mean, almost kind of a skippable show. I mean, it was the second to last night before the A-block final. 
So it did kind of set some stuff up for who could potentially come in second place. So Hikaleo getting that win over Kaito Kiyomiya was a big deal for him. I was shocked that Hikaleo beat Kaito Kiyomiya. I feel like maybe I should have seen that coming, given the fact that it was the opening match of the night. And that just sort of screams like not a big spot, maybe, you know, kind of sneaky under the radar sort of win. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, then um, besides that, oh, Tangaloa getting the, the count-out win over Will Ospreay was kind of an upset thing there that um, allowed ELP to stay alive. ELP getting a win over Taichi allowed him to kind of be in, in that the playoff spot there for the final night. So, yeah, over at this, this night pretty much kind of set the stage for uh, the final A and B block nights. And, I mean, this pretty much, like, cemented Okada going into the finals as well. For B block. Yeah, defeating uh, Kenta in the main event there, which that match but, wasn't really great either. But, you know, El Fantasmo picking up a win over Tai Chi, that propelled his story quite a bit. Uh, Hikaleo getting the big win over Kiyomiya, that's a huge thing that plays uh, very much so into the A block scenarios that we're going to talk about. Um, you know, Sonata beating Gabe Kid, again, that same thing that, that put a huge. Uh, hamper on on his uh opportunity for the rest of the tournament and then yeah that Tangaloa win over will osprey i just sort of feel like that was one of those we need something to balance out the 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 booking sheets <laughs> yeah. sort of wins and it's like he's he can't beat osprey like clean but we need to give him the two points so they came up with the count out finish yeah so yeah, so overall, yeah, fine night here. Uh, not a lot to really. I mean, I think Suji versus Umino is like the one match I would tell people to go out of their way to watch from this night. So then that brings us to uh, night twelve, which was uh, last Wednesday in Hiroshima Sun Plaza. This was the uh, second to last C and D block night. So we had Alex Coughlin defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi. We had Mikey Nichols defeating Evil. Toriano defeating Shane Hayes. Hanare defeating Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroki Goto defeating Jeff Cobb, Eddie Kingston defeating Tamatonga, Tetsuya Naito defeating Zack Sabre Jr. in the semi-main, and then the main event, Shingo Takagi defeats the never openweight champion, David Finley. Um, so the, the two high point matches of the evening for me were definitely Hanare versus Tomohiro Ishii, which granted both guys are pretty much out of the running by this point in the tournament, but uh, a fight for pride and you know longtime listeners or fans of new japan kind of know that yeah hanari and ishii haven't been in the same um you know ring together for a, a while but in the formative years of hanari when he first made the jump to like graduate from the dojo ishii was the guy that he was like trying to to run it with and and you know get all the smoke with all those times i felt, like it, was, I felt and, like it was like every tour <laughs> yeah and it, and, it, and it went on and on and on and on and he never was able to beat ishii and they had some really fantastic matches um but here we are you know 2023 and they they had a barn burner and uh for me probably match of the night i liked this even better than naito saber uh later in the mm. evening and i thought it was just incredible uh the match that they had and and a lot of great near falls and ultimately hanari was able to hit the streets of rage and pick up his first singles victory over ishii yeah definitely a big uh moment there for hanari kind of, kind of fine for pride there, getting some uh, more points on the board there so yeah that was an awesome hard-hitting match probably a, a fight of the year uh contender for our year end awards um 
the Nigel Saber match I thought was a, a great semi-main event. Um, probably not the best match they've had together, but still, I thought it was still a pretty great match where Naito looked uh, really good there. Uh, and then the main event, uh, I think a lot of people are kind of sleeping on this main event. Shingo and David Finley, I thought uh, Finley did a great job stepping up to the plate uh, of Shingo. And it was a very kind of more of a never-style, hard-hitting matchup here with Shingo uh, getting the win. With the table involved. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Shingo taking a, a big uh, power bomb to the table to the outside. Yeah, uh, some other really cool stuff on the evening. Alex Coughlin, um, you know, sort of upsetting Tanahashi. That was a big win. Not not a great match, but I loved the finish there. And then um, Yano and Shane Haste was, you know, something, but definitely one of the crazier uh, Yano matches in the tournament with a lots of bucket shenanigans galore. And, yeah, they had uh, the uh, the blindfold bag gimmick and then goto beating jeff cobb was sort of needed and necessary to keep a lot of different scenarios alive in their block for the d block but also because the booking somewhat surprising all the same because of all the uh injuries he's been having to deal with throughout this tournament him uh being able to to pull up the off the upset pull off the upset there against jeff cobb was kind of surprising yeah so yeah, overall, I think yeah, this night was probably better than the previous night. A uh, few surprises and some uh, way better matches. And, and Naito, and I don't want to gloss over it. Naito and Zack Saber had an awesome match. Maybe not my favorite match they've ever had, but um, some really, really great counter wrestling against one another down the stretch. Just kind of showcasing how well they know one another. And I love the finish where Naito. Uh, it seemed like he was getting ready to go for the. Uh, the DDT and Zack Sabre Jr. started to counter it, and then Naito turned it into a small package and a really, really, really tight small package. He sort of outsmarted, outcountered Zack Sabre. Yeah, that's kind of been the story of their rivalry. Like, Sabre it seems to be having the edge every time he goes into the, the ring with them, and then at the last second, Naito's able to kind of pull one over, over him. And every time it seems like... Saber has his game up and up every time they wrestle. It just like there's always one little like hole he leaves open for Naito to slip through, and that's what happened here at the inside cradle. And Shingo, and obviously this all goes without saying for the guys that are alive, every win and loss is uh, at this stage of the game is extremely pivotal, pivot, pivotal. But Shingo getting that win over David Finley cannot be understated how huge that was because he pretty much would have been done if he'd lost to to Dave Finley there. Yeah, definitely uh, kept him alive there. He's going to have a big uh, match coming up in the final uh, C block night. So then let's uh, talk about now the final A block night that happened night 13, Saturday, August 5th from the Edeon Arena in Osaka. Uh, So we had the return of uh, the undercard tag matches here. So show opened up, we had Great Okan and Jeff Cobb defeating Doki and Taichi. We had Hiroki Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi of Chaos defeating Dave Finley, Gato, and Kenta of Bullet Club. We had the House of Tortures, Evil, Show and Yujiro Takahashi defeating the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, and Naito. The United Empire team of Hanare and Will Ospreay defeated ELP and Togi Makabe. And then the last tag match we had Kazuchika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii and Hoshi Tanahashi, the never six-man openweight champions, defeating the team of Tamatanga, Tangaloa, and Hiroyoshi Tenzon, 
which would lead us to the first A Block match of the night, which was the Gene Blast Yota Suji defeating Gabe Kidd. First time we've seen um, G.O.D. back together since uh, Tangaloa's return as well. Yeah. So, you know, this match was very interesting because it started off, we've been seeing all throughout the tournament how Gabe Kidd has, you know, been uh, attacking people prior to the bell all throughout the tournament using that element of surprise. Well, he he overplayed his hand here a little bit because obviously my dog Gene Blast is going to know that this man is trying to jump him, <laughs> right? He watches a product. But, <laughs> right, he watches the product. So out comes uh, Yota Suji, and he's standing there. He's got the big smile on. He's got the facial hair, the long hair in his face. He's got the hood up, and it's like, all right. Well, he's just kind of standing there for a while, standing, standing, and then ultimately, bow. Suddenly, Gabe Kidd comes out, starts beating this man, and in the midst of his attack, unbeknownst to the crowd the camera goes back to the top and suddenly an uncloaked yotasuji steps out and you're like wait what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah i was and like i was really wigged out at first <laughs> the crowd was like not into it either they went quiet like they weren't like oh, they were like wait what and then um and then it like went back and it was like well maybe it's like a young lion under the mask or under the hood and then it's like wait there's Yotasuji. Why are there two Yotasuji? <laughs> this is definitely some um, Kurt and uh, what was his uh, twin brother's name? Eric. I uh, think it was Eric Engel or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Eric, yeah. Yeah, it was it, very similar to Kurt and Eric. You know, we had some twin magic going on, some Bree, <laughs> uh, some Bree mode. Bree shit going mode. On. <laughs> yeah, it turns out we did not know this. Yotasuji's got a twin brother. And That's a stunt man slash actor. Here's the thing about that, and this is my my one issue. Well, I've got another issue, but one of my issues with the match: your brother might be a trained actor and stunt man, but he's not a trained wrestler. And you put him in harm's way to get two points on the board. You sent him out there knowing full without any defense mechanisms, knowing he was going to get jumped by. Uh, Gabe Kid, what if like he hit him in the temple and he died? You don't know. This is when you step into the wrestling ring, you know, you don't know what could happen. Anything hey. can happen. And he put his his own brother in harm's way. Gene Blast does not give a fuck. It's all worth it for the two points, man. That, that man's trying to, you know, establish his legacy. <laughs> now, uh, th th that was something that um we did need to talk about here with these uh scenarios. So, going into this night in order for Suji to still be alive, like him and Gabe Kid were both technically still alive, and whichever won this match had the ability to potentially advance, but it, there needed to be a myriad of different things that needed to basically take place with ties and certain outcomes. But essentially, you know, both guys were desperate to stay in the running, and that's why this match was pretty important for them. So um, ultimately, this was to me the the best match of the night once they got in the ring it really picked up and they they had an awesome awesome match there was one point though where suji no like he basically sort of um no sold something from gabe kid that didn't make a lot of sense down the stretch mm -hmm. but other than that the match is pretty immaculate oh you know what it was it's when he went for that spear and gabe kid hit him with that running by knee. oh yeah 
within seconds, Suji is up and he's not selling any damage whatsoever. And it just kind of, that for me, like was, I'm not usually like someone that's a super stringent on the selling quote unquote, but it also needs to kind of make sense. And if you take really big damage, grab your head or something. This man was up and fine. Like two seconds later, just like <laughs> going into a, a, a strike exchange. I'm like, what the fuck? You just <laughs> one of the big, that was one of the coolest spots of the whole, of the whole match. And he didn't even sell it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, besides that, yeah, he looked great in the match. Um, did a, a cool uh, gut wrench suplex. There was a a moon salt he did for a near fall. Hit the, the big falcon arrow, the the uh, curb stomp to Gabe Kid. And again, like you mentioned, a lot of this great striking. There was a great sequence toward the end. There, they're both hitting each other with open hand uh, slaps. Uh, Suji hits the big headbutt um, and uh, eventually hits him with the spear to get the win here. So. Yeah, this was the match of night. Awesome match. I thought Suji looked really great here. Uh, Gabe Kid once again, kind of proving why uh, you know this term has been working out for him, and I think he showed what he had too. And it was a really hard hitting, really fluid matchup. There, there might be a a very and it's crazy because of the difference of opinions from different people watching the product, but I think there's a, a legit argument that maybe Gabe Kid is the A block MVP, possibly. Yeah, I think there's an argument for it. Yeah, yeah, uh, pretty great match. Um, we had a couple of uh, questions here. Uh, Hawaiian oh, Punch BV says, "Any secret stuntmen, twin brothers that you have that we should know about?" Um, I do not. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> uh, the Dark Soldier says, "Seriously, what did Jabata teach these LA dojo boys? All of them either left or grown to be bitter and rebelled against the system." You have Gabe Kidd beating up Narita, looking at the camera to send a message to Shibata, and over overall tide of their star star star. You have mentor figures like TJP betraying them to join the United Empire. Promos being cut about how New Japan screwed up their lives after they showed loyalty. The dojo system it doesn't work. Um. Well, that's a, a pretty harsh question <laughs> there, but uh, you know, um, look at where Shibata's at right now. Man's in Conland. Yeah, and you know, I don't know. That whole thing is still fucking weird because it's like they they show him with the lion mark on their on ROH, and we saw the video where he said he's he re-signed a new deal with New Japan, but then like Dave saying he's not even signed with New Japan and he's just straight up working for Tony Khan. And you know, uh, so recently someone asked. Shibata, if he was still tied to the dojo, and he's like, no, 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 no. we're here. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is going on, bro? Nobody yeah, knows. It's really weird. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you, you want to wonder what's going on with all the trainees, look at the sensei. <laughs> right, the the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and so and the tree is very far away right now. <laughs> um. So the, the next match of the night, I think, is the one that started a lot of talking from people, uh, a, lot, a lot of questions. Uh, so it was our, our boy, the, the son of strong style, Ren Narita, defeating Kaito Kiyomiya. 15 minutes, 17 seconds, knocking Kiyomiya out of the tournament. I thought you were going to say knocking him out. I was like, yeah, knock him out. Pinned him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but... um. So the situation here, essentially, at the beginning of the night was in the main event, you got Hikaleo and Shota Umino. Hikaleo wins. He goes through. 
if Umino wins, there was a situation where if Kiyomiya won as well, then it would create an unbreakable tie situation. And we would need to find some sort of scenario to find out who would continue through the block between Kiyomiya and Umino. But a lot of that was also contingent on Kiyomiya beating Ren Narita here. Last week on this show, I, I mentioned that I thought there was a very real possibility that Ren Narita could beat Kiyomiya. But then again, I sort of backtracked on that because I was like, that would kind of knock Kiyomiya out of the block. And so many individuals, myself included, I think yourself included, Jeremy, we all expected Kato Kiyomiya to be the 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 two-way guy in mm-hmm. this block and go through and advance to the the final eight but yeah now the, the, for the match itself match was great very very good probably the second best match of the night um shocking finish with kiyomiya going for a uh a shining wizard and getting that countered into the bridging suplex for the one two three loss um and very hard hitting really great stuff but you know, lots of questions about the booking here and the decisions that were made and how this was, how it came to pass and how it was even allowed to happen in the first place. Yeah. And uh, Reddit user Death Triangle 720 says, Do you think New Japan messed up with the booking of Kaito at the end? And I, I mean, here's the thing um, I think a lot of blame has to go to Pro Wrestling Noah. That's my thoughts exactly. Like, how do you say, all right, yeah, you guys can use our ace, a guy that we're building the future of our company around, and yeah, you can beat him. You know, on, on the last night, he doesn't even get into the quarterfinals, doesn't get into the semifinals, not in the finals. Like, you feel like if that guy is that important to you, you should negotiate to make sure he gets a good spot in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, ultimately. Yes. Do I think it sucks that New Japan brought a guy in from the outside who is, you know, someone that's seen as an ace level status character from from the rival company and basically booked them in like a third or fourth place role in the tournament? Ultimately, yeah, I think that sucks. But it, it really is incumbent on the home promotion, Pro Wrestling Noah to work those kinks out with the promoter before they ever allow him to go over. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like for instance, his booking's not going to be that far different. And in fact, in some ways it's even lower than that of like, say Eddie Kingston in the C block, but Eddie Kingston's not the ace of AEW or even Ring of Honor. He's like a upper mid, you know, let's be honest, somewhat mid, upper mid type guy in in the standings there, depending on how you see him. Mm -hmm. And if it was Adam Cole or Chris Jericho or Kenny Omega, (laughs) Brian Danielson or Kenny Omega, they wouldn't be getting treated like this in, in the G1. Ultimately, it does come down to Noah giving the okay for him to to be in the tournament to also have had that discussion with management and the booking committee and saying like yeah so he's going through to the final eight right and 
And instead, that's not what's happening. So somewhere along the way, someone with his company dropped the ball. And there's been this undercurrent from the New Japan fan base. And, you know, Jeremy, you and I, I don't think that you and I have ever on the air stated that we bought into this this idea that New Japan is courting after Kiyomiya, you know? Right. And part of the reason why is because historically it's extremely uncommon and frowned upon to see a top star from one company jump ship directly to another competing brand like that. You know, I, I, the two instances I think you can think of recently would be like Jake Lee going to Noah from all Japan. And that's not quite the same thing. And then maybe Shingo leaving Dragon Gate to come to new Japan, you know, after Mm -hmm. all those years in the company, but the idea that this was all to draw Kiyomiya to the company, I've never thought that that was the case. I didn't discount its possibility, but to me, it always just felt like this was a great way to get an outside top guy in so we could sell tickets, so we can have synergy between the brands. But that's about it. I never thought that they were trying to recruit the guy. And to me... Everything about this tells me they weren't trying to recruit him necessarily. Yeah, clearly that they had a theme for the A block. Like we we want the A block to be a, a bunch of young up and coming talent. They they see Kiyomiya in that light, and that that's where they you know they're able to slot him there. Um, and yeah, I don't think they were trying to necessarily sign him. I think they he fit what they were looking for, and there's a story that they could tell with him. And going forward, um, you know it's. Again, what we talked about last week, where New Japan wants to help the state of wrestling in Japan as a whole. And how do you help out Pro Wrestling Noah put their ace in your top tournament of the year and have him have a, a, a good run and face off against some of your young up-and-coming guys? And then he can go back to Noah as a bigger star being exposed to New Japan audience. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it was ever really about helping... Or trying to get Kiyomiya, I think it was just about trying to help wrestling in Japan. Well, the other thing, too, you got to think about the business side of things. And for me, I feel like it benefited New Japan as well as Pro Wrestling Noah to potentially have him in the tournament. And, you know, the one... um, the one thing that people had earmarked on the docket is the idea that somewhere down the line we would see Kiyomiya versus Okada the return match so much so that like I had Kiyomiya in my finals of the tournament. That's how far I saw this guy going. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which kind of blows up my bracket entirely. (laughs) And you know, it's like, all right, they pushed someone else from their own homegrown roster through and that's fine. But, and I see from a business perspective, why new Japan might have done that because at the end of the day, long-term thinking, they're not Kiyomiya does not work for New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. affect their bottom line in that way. But I feel like when you have eight slots and you're putting through seven New Japan guys, it's not a bad idea for the intrigue, for the talk, for the hype, for the buzz to put Kiyomiya through. And then you you still have that possibility of the Okada match or whatever other stories you want to tell. I feel like they they made the wrong choice here. Honestly, I really, really do feel that way. Yeah, but, I agree with you. 
the the blame still has to come down to pro wrestling Noah. We already saw at the Tokyo Dome this year how New Japan played and handled with Okada and Kiyomiya. We've seen how they, you know, as as the top company, how they play with others in the country when it comes to the booking of their talent versus other talent. And I don't think that it's a great look for any company to have any of your guys to go into a tournament like this, unless it's a middle of the road guy and to be booked middle of the road. But when you have a top guy from a, from an, uh, a rival company and they come in and they're not even in the top eight, that's a big fuck you to that company mm-hmm. and to their brand. And the idea that they let that happen to their guy maybe does say that Kiyomiya needs to figure something out and and go somewhere else. And I'm not even saying it's New Japan. I don't know what's next for the kid, but this is not how you build a top guy for your company. And I think that for New Japan, it's also short-sighted because we're going to talk about who, who got through from this block, but I don't think that from a storytelling perspective and, and great match perspective and intrigue that they, you know, picked somebody. I mean, it'd be one thing if they picked one of the, uh, one of the musketeers or Gabe Kidd to go through, but that's not the decision that they made here. And it's a little baffling. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, get to that. So first of all, we had a, um, Sonata defeating Chase Owens in the semi-main event, nine minutes thirteen seconds. So we, we about, did have some questions, but I think we answered them essentially. Yeah, we did. Um, but yeah, well, this uh, Sonata and Chase match we talked about last week that the whole goal here for Chase was to get the win over Sonata and get a, a world title match. And Sonata apparently has got a, a left uh, bicep or some kind of left arm injury. Had to go back to Tokyo to get it looked at and back of the tournament so coming in week and chase having a big bullseye of him already to try and get a tile shot and so kind of a quick match of chase trying to take advantage of sonata but sonata kind of putting chase away pretty quickly towards the end there kind of hit, hit a new uh gas pedal there hit the um the deadfall and was able to pin chase pretty quickly yeah i i heard some individuals that were very nervous about this match because they were very worried and concerned that we were going to wind up with a Chase Owens mandatory title defense from Sonata. And I had no doubt that that was not really on the table. Once we saw this guy go through everybody else in the block, it just seemed so far-fetched that the one loss that he would receive is from Chase Owens. Um, I think it made a, a, a nice little bow and ribbon on the story that they're trying to tell there. Sonata goes through unscathed. You know, he beats Chase Owens uh, the ma- for the match itself. I don't know if I was super into it because Chase kind of controlled a lot of the match here, mm-hmm. trying to uh, garner the belief from the fan base that he did stand a, a, a chance at, at winning here. But ultimately, Sonata wins with the deadfall and continues on. And the only guy in this year's tournament that is undefeated in, in block action. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um Chase was able to get Sonata into the uh, the Paradise Lock, the Paradise and, Lock, and locked him up. And I guess he he's been bugging Milano all tour to teach him how to do it, but he said he learned by himself and, and got him in it. But uh, you know, Sonata was able to get it pretty quickly and got him in the Paradise Lock. So that was that was pretty funny. But yeah, uh, overall, yeah, quick matchup. Sonata gets to win here. 
And we had a question here from Hawaiian Punch BB. Will Sonata go undefeated in the G1 and drag Muto out of retirement so he can retire him again? I don't think so. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think Sonata will eat a loss in the the, the playoff uh, portion of the tournament. But it's like we mentioned last week. Like, once he beat everybody else, what was the point of having him lose a chase? Like, I get it. Maybe if it was, like, somebody that was a world title contender that you could actually set a, a program up with. But with it being Chase, and he's already 6-0, and you might as well just have him go 7-0 and and, and clean the block out. So that takes us to the uh, big main event here, which I think also goes along with the discussion with uh, Kiyomiya losing. So we had uh, Hikaleo defeating Shota Umino, 17 minutes and 21 seconds. Yeah, so as we discussed earlier in the show, it really came down to Hikaleo and Shota Umino in the main event. Winner gets to go through as the uh, A2 winner of the block. And it is kind of surprising here that because of how dominant Sonata was in the block, it necessitated an eight-point winner to go through, which is uh, not necessarily a point total that we were thinking would uh, qualify someone to, to go through, or at least it would be highly unlikely. You sort of felt like you needed at least 10 in most instances. But yeah, we, we wound up with a situation where these two guys uh, were both sitting at six. And for my money... If you were going to have Kiyomiya lose and then uh, put Shota Umino in there, I think that he probably should have been the guy that that won. Um, I think this is a huge upset, probably one of the biggest upsets of the entire tournament. Mm -hmm. And um, the match itself was pretty good, but it was a a very similar story to what we saw between Hikaleo and Kiyomiya and some of the other uh, matches where Hikaleo is a big monster the the smaller guy tries to find a way to overcome him typically it's going to be them attacking the leg and focusing their attacks in that way trying to cut him down to size and looking like they're you know then hikaleo rallies back suddenly the the other the challenger um has their big comeback and they're doing really well they have a bunch of near falls but out of nowhere hikaleo cuts them off with a body slam or a power slam and then the giant, what's he called? The godsend. Yeah, godsend choke slam. The godsend choke slam for the one, two, three, and it sort of feels very. Uh, a lot of the matches that Hikaleo's had it felt very formulaic in that way. I mean, some of the, the moves themselves are pretty dynamic, and they've done a great job kind of setting up the idea that that spinning body slam and then the choke slam are his like go-to finishes, the setup mm-hmm. and the finish, and. You know, it, it seems like if you get hit with that choke slam, it's like the bad luck fall. No matter who you are, you're probably going to lose one, two, three. But um, the matches have been haven't been that great. And I, I know we're kind of changing our tune here, or at least I am, because we were complaining in the beginning of the tournament that they weren't giving enough to Hikaleo. But I don't feel personally that he's ready to be one of the block finalists. I mean, I guess there is some sense here. He's the one giant in the block, so maybe it does kind of makes sense that all of the uh the musketeers kind of cannibalize themselves and, and everything mm-hmm. but i don't know man this just doesn't do it for me i'm not that excited this feel especially with kiyomiya in the block like I, what are we doing i don't get it yeah i was not thrilled by this decision you know going into this main event i had been spoiled that kiyomiya didn't win so i was like oh well Umino's gonna win, and I'm here just waiting to watch it, waiting for Umino to win. And 
you know, I thought it, he did look really great in this match. You know, he was doing the whole spot where he was trying to body slam Hikaleo and eventually was able to do that. He was able to hit a, a German suplex. He was hitting some uh, big offense on Hikaleo and firing up and he kept escaping the choke slam. I'm like, all right, any minute now, he, he's going to hit the Death Rider and win. And then, nope, like you said, he got cut off with that power slam, ate the choke slam, and got pinned. I I was stunned. I, I was baffled. I'm like, well, what what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there weren't an, a ton of major upsets in this tournament, so you know, I uh, guess kudos to them on doing something different and bold. And there are eight slots, so you know, you you can put in some un. I mean, it it, it might not have been the most inspired thing in the world to go completely chalk for the finalists in every block. And it does do something for Hikaleo, a guy that we said the company needed to get behind. But damn, bro, like, I don't know. I can't think of. Um, so, I mean, the, the way it's going to, to pan out, he's going to fight someone from the D block, whoever the D1 r- winner is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's probably going to be either Shingo, Evil, Eddie Kingston, or. No, that, that, that's C. So he's going to face either Naito, Sabre, or Cobb. Yeah, Naito, Sabre, or Cobb. My bad. None of those matches sound that compelling to me. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it does not sound great. And I get it. I know people probably like, well, you guys have been saying for weeks they need to continue the push of Hikaleo. And yes, but not this way. (laughs) Yeah, like measured. Measured. Like baby steps. Like, you know what I mean? Here's the thing. If he was in this tournament and he was fucking shit up and he was wrecking everybody and he had, if he was having a performance, he doesn't even have to have great, great matches, right? Not, Mm. not a ton of them, but if he was just fucking people up and then had one or two great matches, like, let's say like a Jonah last Mm. year. Yeah. If he had a Jonah, a Jonah tournament, I would be like, hell yeah. This is going to be great. You know what I mean? Yeah. He didn't have a Jonah tournament. He had like a Fale tournament. That's not something you want to see go to the final eight. Yeah, not at all. Um, yeah, just really kind of questionable. I mean, his his whole year has just been really weird. Like, you, you have him beat Jay White. You don't put him in the New Japan Cup. You, you put the strong title on him, but then he loses it right back to Kenta. And now he's in the G1. He loses his first three matches, and all of a sudden now he's in the quarterfinals. Just, you know what would have been a great way for them to push him? He comes on strong down the tail stretch of the tournament, like he did, and then he loses to Shota Umino in the final match of the evening. Very similar to like a trajectory we saw from Lance Archer in last year's tournament. Mm-hmm. That would have been strong. That would have been great. That's his first tournament finishes in a, in a very strong placement, but instead he's going through and it's like, I don't know the 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 idea of. Go of uh, Cobb, Naito, or Zack Saber potentially wrestling either Shota Umino or Kiyomiya is a lot more appetizing than the idea that we're getting Hikaleo here. So I'm just kind of, and I don't know, like I think that he has a utility player role as a as a big man, but so far we haven't seen the goods from him to really warrant a push where I'm like, yeah, he's a main event caliber guy. He's not yet. 
Yeah, and I think in a, in a time where they're trying to rebuild and create new stars, I felt like this would have been the perfect opportunity to put a guy like, if you're not going to put Kiyomiya, put a guy like Shota Umino through. Like, he's clearly the guy that you think is going to be the ace out of this new Three Musketeers and now the, the set of Young Lions. Like, give him his spot. Like, he doesn't have to even advance out of the quarterfinals. Like, let's get him in there in the Elite Eight where he's next to guys like uh, Naito and Okada and Osprey. It's like, all right, Umino's on the level of these guys. They could have. The only thing that would have been worse is if they put uh, Chase Owens through from this block. But literally, any other outcome would have been better. Suji, Umino, Narita, Kiyomiya, Kid. I would have preferred any of them. Yeah, Suji. I mean, they, they need to strap the rocket on this guy. I know he's he got a heavy push in the in the beginning, but he he needs like he's a guy I would have heavily considered making one of the guys going through here. Well, we finished the A block. The standings are as follows. Sonata undefeated with seven wins at 14 points. He is your A1 finalist. Your A2 finalist is Hikaleo. Four wins, three losses with eight points. In third place, Yotasuji. Three wins, three losses, one draw with seven points. And then you have Shota Umino, Keito Kiyomiya, Ren Narita, all tied with two wins, three losses, two draws, both all three sitting at six points. Gabe Kidd follows with a record of two, four, and one, and then Chase Owens at the bottom of the block, two and five with four points. All right, so let's uh, move on to night fourteen. This was uh, Sunday, August sixth, also in the Edion Arena in Osaka. So we had the show opening up. We had Doki and Sonata defeating Kaito Kiyomiya and Rei Oiwa. We had Hiroshi Tanahashi and Tomori Ishii defeating Kosei Vegeta and Mikey Nichols. Hanare and Jeff Cobb defeating Tenzon and Tamatonga. Chase Owens and Dave Finley defeating Eddie Kingston and Togi Makabe. The LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, Naito, and Yotosuji defeating all the House of Torture. And then that brought us to the tournament action. So first up, we had Kenta defeating Yoshihashi. Yeah, and on that undercard, we had a... The first night, we didn't have too many things leading to the rest of the tournament in a meaningful way, but we had a few different standoffs, post-match attacks, that sort of thing, but nothing I would say was uh, essential viewing or anything like that. Right, yeah. You know, normally, they would be some kind of like carryover angles that could lead to, to tournament matches, but there wasn't really a ton of that here with these undercards. Probably the biggest one was like, Evil did attack uh, Shingo, and then I think they tried to shave his head a little bit afterwards, which was, you know, kind of weird. Yeah, well, there's an ongoing thing with Evil. That's that Evil said that he if he doesn't win the G1 or something like that, he's going to shave his head bald. So, mm. so he was trying to get the Shingo by shaving Shingo's head. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um. So first match of the night, Kenta and Yoshihashi, they're both uh, essentially eliminated. So. They're really just playing for pride. And Kenta, it's pretty much, you know, 2023 Kenta bullshit all throughout the match. Oh, yeah. Um, At at a certain point, Yoshihashi is able to fire up and kind of get his comeback going. But then Kenta just kind of chickens out, hits him with a uh, small package and picks up the unexpected victory for, you know, to get to six points. Yeah, we had a question here from Hawaiian Punch BB. When is Gato going to give Yoshihashi his wins over Okada and Kenta? Do you see a never open weight title run in his future? Yeah, it is funny. I, I've seen uh, some support out there online from people that are very upset with how 
how incredible uh, Yoshihashi's been allowed to be in the G1 past few years, but he keeps getting booked, you know, subpar. Um, I, I still think the Kiyomiya uh, issue is a much more pressing matter, but there are those out there that are upset about the way Yoshihashi was booked in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why they, he couldn't have beaten Kenta here. Um, but I get, you know, Kenta is a, a bigger star in Japan, um, Defy champion. I know I guess there's still a reason you could probably point to why they wanted him to end up higher than Yoshihashi, but I don't know. I, I felt if it was me, I would have given Yoshihashi the win here. I I pretty much agree with that, but uh, the match was nothing great from either guy, really, at this point. Yeah. Um, so that brought us to the next match. We had Great Okan defeating Taichi. Match was fine. Um, not necessarily great. I liked the mat work down the stretch, which was a, a little bit of a different uh, kind of vibe from what we're used to seeing from Taichi. But, uh, you know, ultimately he got choked out by Great Okan with a head arm triangle choke, which was maybe a little too prolonged at 17 minutes and 41 seconds. I don't know if I necessarily needed yeah. uh, this match to go that long at this point in the tournament, but it, it is what it is. Uh, it kind of feel, it felt like on, on the back end that they sort of just had Tai Chi or I'm sorry, Okan picking up wins to bring him more to a parody level on, on the scorecard at the end of the day, but he was one of the earliest ones eliminated. So yeah, yeah. It was almost uh, uh, too little, too late for him at this point. Uh, yeah, and I mean, it's also disappointing from from Tai Chi because I would have liked to see him finish with eight points. I'd rather see him at eight points and Okan, ha- you know, be at a deficit and both guys be in a different place than they were when the tournament started. Now they're both at six points, and it's just kind of like, all right, well, I guess it's sort of if it's a little fifty fifty, and I don't love that. Yeah, especially I feel like Tai Chi started the tournament so hot. You know, Okan, right. Okan's just kind of been kind of meandering, kind of middle of the road the whole tournament. I, I'm always one who's going to be more apt to uh, uh, be uh, granted. Yes, I, I wanted Okan to do well in this block and do well in this tournament. But once he didn't, there's no reason to bring him back up to parity with everybody else. Let him have the tragic downfall. And then he has his story from there. And same thing with Tai Chi. If he's going to beat some of the top guys in the block and have some incredible showings, let him take a step up to show where he's at in the trajectory. Instead, they had him start hot and then brought him middle of the road at the end. And then they had Okan start low and brought him middle of the road. And by the end of it, neither man is anywhere better off in the tournament than they were when they started, aside from the fact that you can point to a Tai Chi win over Okat or uh, Osprey. Osprey. Yeah, yeah, pretty much in the exact same spot. I guess the, the one thing you, you do set up is a uh, KOPW match. Okan could challenge uh, Tai Chi for that after G1. Well, after this match, I'm not that interested in that happening anyways. Yeah, same here. Unless the rules are something a lot better than what they did here. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Okan was one of the few guys that had matches with uh, Shingo that just really didn't hit during his KOPW run. Yeah. 
So then uh, following that, we had Kazuchika Okada defeating Tangaloa, 12 minutes and 33 seconds. Uh, Okada did have what, some... What, what, the, what the fuck is Tangaloa doing in here, bro? <laughs> Somebody come get your boy. Someone come get T, because I don't know what the fuck was happening. He's like, huh, 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 huh. And, bro, not only was Okada selling it, but hats off to, uh, they were in Osaka, right? Yes, Bro, this Osaka crowd going, oi, oi. Yeah, they were they were they were into it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, from, from the from the previous night, Okada did have some pretty harsh uh, comments in his post match comments for Tangaloa, saying, you know, Tangaloa's so boring. He's like, there's no passion, there's no fire behind his moves, and pretty much just kind of buried him, saying there's there's no reason why he should be in G one. And then, yeah, came out here and yeah, almost Tangaloa almost kind of proved his point here. <laughs> yeah, man, he. He was hitting him with the least fiery, devastating shots you've ever seen. Just like uh, they, a, a, a backhand that would make John Cena's backhand look like one of the greatest moves you ever <laughs> saw. And then uh, a, a knife thrust to the throat that was like so fuck, bro, it was so fucking bad. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it was pretty weak. And, I, you know, Kevin and uh, Chris were like trying their best to like, Covered up. Charles was like, "Oh, it's, it's, it's like a one-inch punch." No, Kevin said yeah, that. Yeah, Kevin said that. It's like a one-inch punch. <laughs> no, bro. And then he he, <laughs> and he he did like a big chop at the end, and then uh, Chris goes, "Oh, gone that time." <laughs> <laughs> oh you my know, god! Okada Okada had already won the the B one uh, position in this tournament, so. And Tangaloa was already out, so it was really just sort of Tangaloa trying to uh, overcome the criticisms of Okada from the previous evening. But this was the worst uh, match of the evening for for the tournament matches, and it's got some pretty abysmal ratings. And and if you want to read some funny shit, go read the comments (laughs) match about this match. (laughs) Oh man, yeah. Here's here's a funny one. Maybe as low as an Okada match is going to get. He improved over the course of the tournament, but using a G1 to tune yourself back up after a long injury is a bizarre move from Loa. He had some embarrassing offense with some chops. Basically, no stakes to this either. Yeah. It's one of those situations where like, I would have rather ha- had a filthy Tom Lawler in here than Tangle. Oh, I 100% agree. Here's another one. Whatever the fuck the flurry of offense was from Tangaloa, it was so awful, so pathetic looking <laughs> that I laughed out loud. Actually, literally hilarious. And he's done it multiple times during this G1, and every time it was bad, but not this bad. This was even worse than the punches from Okan against, I think it was Kenta. Okada does some work to save the match from being a stinker, but I can't get past the horrible sequence from Tangaloa that Okada actually tried to sell in the corner. <laughs> 3.0. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Okada for actually uh, selling that. You know, there, there's a part of me that like remembered like when I was wrestling, one of the things they told you is like, however hard you're willing to get hit is how hard you should hit the other guy. Maybe on this night, like T was like, I just don't want to get hit. Please. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that was. It was so crazy, bro. Yeah, that that's uh, botchamania worthy right there. 
Bro, when you consider like Tamatonga's run against Okada in this tournament a couple years ago, and then you juxtapose that against Tangaloa's, it's a tale of two brothers, <laughs> two different outcomes, two different <laughs> styles. This is, this is crazy. Yeah. Like I say, uh, some guys are just better off as tag team wrestlers. So, yeah, Okada gets the the win here and fully locks up the the, the B one spot and the tournament with twelve points, and that brought us to the main event, which was uh, Will Osprey versus El Fantasmo, where Osprey was coming in with eight, ELP coming in with six. Had ELP beaten Osprey. He would have the tiebreaker over Osprey and be the B2. And then also you will need to win also to become B2. Yeah, and I think uh, Tai Chi actually had some sort of scenario where he could have potentially advanced had he beaten Ocon if things or you know, like a tiebreaker sort of scenario. But um, I could be wrong on that. But ultimately, it did kind of come down to if Will either won or drew against ELP, he'd go through. If ELP won, then he goes through. So it really just kind of came down to the main event here. And um, on what was one of the worst nights of tournament matches, granted it was only the four, we perhaps have the best match of the entire tournament in this main event between Osprey and ELP. Yeah, this match was absolutely incredible. Um, just the the sequence in this match, um, the the back and forth. Uh, Fantasmo, I feel like this was like his coming out party here. Like it's, this reminded me a lot of the Fantasmo Rocky Romero match from uh, Best of Super Juniors, where it was kind of the breakout best match of the tournament. Like and also the the ELP Eagles match from Super Juniors. I think that was last year. Like ELP just really knows how to have these great kind of last night performances. Yeah. Um... It's sort of heartbreaking for El Fantasmo to again not be able to succeed and go through. I know that his two big claims to fame in singles action with New Japan were winning the uh, Super J Cup on two subsequent uh, attempts. But both of those tournaments sort of were special events that sort of existed in their own realm and didn't necessarily have the strong you know sort of impact that you would expect from a tournament named super j cup i can't even recall if he even got title shots based off of those wins or not i don't but i don't think he did if he did he he lost (laughs) yeah but you know when he was in the juniors every year it felt like he was a very strong candidate to either win or even final a super junior and he never did. And then now he's in the heavyweight division. He hasn't won a title yet. It is still early goings, but he never won the junior title when he was a junior. And now he has an opportunity to advance in the G one and he gets knocked out against, you know, longtime rival will Osprey. And it's sort of like, damn, like what does this guy got to do to, to be the guy to go through? And, it does make sense that Osprey goes through. I'm not complaining about that. Osprey is one of the best wrestlers alive today. And, you know, um, ELP's not that far off from him at this point right now. But at the same time, considering the fact that Will is the U.S. champion, there just kind of did feel like there was an air of maybe an upset was a Bruin. 
And if there was anybody in this block that would knock Osprey out of contention and go through themselves and you wanted to elevate a guy, ELP is not a bad person to do it. So it felt like it was realistic, like a possibility, but ultimately it didn't come to fruition. Yeah, especially with the, with the night before you had Hikaleo going over Umino and said, so like, oh, well, they're, they're doing upsets. They're putting people through that you don't expect them to put through. Definitely seems like, yeah, putting ELP through could have been um, a good move here. And I get that he's kind of going through his, um, you know, Gato Books heartbreak moments. You know, he's had a, a rough personal uh, side of the tournament with his grandfather passing away. And he has, um, you know, no unit, no friends. And so, and he felt like he let the fans down. So this is kind of like a, a whole character arc and rebuilding thing for him. But yeah, it's still, I think, would have been a great moment to kind of catapult him. And get him in, but then again, you know, if you, you have a guy like Hikaleo, uh, you know, skating through into the the, the elite eight, you kind of want a Will Osprey to kind of be one of your your eight guys in there. Not complaining that Osprey got through whatsoever. What I am saying is, if you're going to do one of those big upsets, I'd rather it have been Hikaleo losing to Shoto Umino, right? Than it be, uh, you know, this one. But, uh, you know, I guess beggar, be- beggars can't be choosers. But the match itself was phenomenal. These guys went out there, and I, they've had quite a few matches in the past. And, you know, Jeremy, it's just uh, – I don't want to say that the matches have been bad because they haven't been bad. But I, especially during that era of El Fantasma's run, I never loved a single one of the, the Osprey Fantasma matches. Um the best one that I can remember is last year in the G1 when when they were facing off, and that felt like the first time I was like, okay, we're getting like a a true main event style match between these guys. And even then, it was a little bit unbalanced because ELP was working junior mm-hmm. and didn't get to to be on the same level as Will. But on this night, we finally got to see what a, a heavyweight style match between these two guys looks like, and it was out of this world. I mean. Super highly athletic, very fast-paced, very dangerous. They did a lot of really crazy stuff. The drama was high. Mm-hmm. But the crowd, this has got to be the the most – this might – and I don't even just mean of this tournament. This might be the loudest I've heard a crowd be for a New Japan match since we returned to cheering crowds. Yeah, the, 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 the Osaka crowd here was great. They were biting every near fall, and these guys – I mean – they deserve the crowd reaction. What they did here, I mean, uh, ELP uh, did the the rope walk into the the moonsault spot, uh, followed up that with the alliance all in the ring. Okada was a uh, super vicious, or Osprey was super vicious with uh, the Kawada kicks. Um, yeah, a lot of great back and forth. Uh, ELP did that the the, the uh, seven twenty DT thing in the ring. Um, Spanish flies, uh, several reversals of the a Stormbreaker, ELP hitting a Poison Rana, uh, using the, the Sudden Death Super Kick for several near falls throughout the matchup here. But yeah, the, the closing was just great. There was there, there were so many great near falls here where uh, Osprey, he was going for the Hidden Blade, ELP counters it with a Hurricane Rana for a near fall. He hits um, the CR2, which, you know, that's just his main finish, and we'll get out of that. Crowd is going nuts after that. Um he uh, goes. He goes up to leap off the ropes. Osprey catches him with the Oz Cutter. It's another Oz Cutter. Then the Hidden Blade and uh, Phantasm kicks out of that at eighteen thirty, which was absolutely crazy. That was a big uh, kick out there. And then 
Osprey hits him with the Storm Driver 93, his super finisher to get the win. Yeah, and he hit it correctly, the right way you're supposed to do it, where the other guy lands first, you jump back, they land high angle on their shoulders. It was great. Um, I, I My heart broke for uh, uh, ELP, and that's just where we're at. There was a period where I literally despised watching him wrestle, and now we're at a point where I'm heartbroken for the guy because he, he didn't win in this tournament. But uh, Osprey goes through. Uh, he's the the B2 winner. And for me, this is the match of the month and the match of the tournament so far, which that's high praise when you're talking about the G1 Climax. If you haven't seen this match, you need to go out of your way. And even if you're just cherry picking, you've got to see this one. Yeah, this is incredible. It's, it's my number one match of the tournament. I went four points on five on it. Like, yeah, you definitely have to go out of your way and watch this matchup. Uh, we had a couple questions here. Uh, Wukong901 on Reddit says, ELP had a pretty solid tournament. His story afterwards got development with G.O.D. pulling him up to raise him from his lowest point. It makes sense in storyline sense, but how do you feel about the development of our resident nipple twister? Yeah, post-match at the end of the show, you saw uh, Tangaloa and Tamatonga go and kind of uh, console ELP a little bit, offer to get him a bite of food, and said that they need to talk about things. And, you know, they, they've been mentioning on commentary how ELP is a man with, he's an island unto himself. He's a man without a country. And now, you know, G.O.D. are sort of talking to him. And it feels like we might see a breakoff group from Hontai, whatever that may be. So that's maybe not a bad way to go for all all those guys involved. Yeah, well, they've, they've already kind of been labeling all, like, Hikaleo and Jato all as G.O.D., so, yeah, I'm guessing, yeah, they'll kind of throw ELP into the fold and that, and G.O.D. will kind of be more of its own thing instead of kind of being a part of Hontai. Maybe they should be something other than G.O.D. Yeah, I like that better for just the, the tag team name versus making the, the whole group uh, G.O.D. Yeah, but um, as far as uh, ELP, I mean... I think that he's a, I think he's a guy that could be one of the top guys for the company, honestly. Oh, yeah. I think he definitely proved his worth here. Uh, Les Commission 7252 says the last night of the B block was a dud until the main event. Was Osprey and Phantasma the best match out of the B block? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was the best, it's the best match of the whole tournament right now. Um, they absolutely killed it. So you're standing with the B block at the end of... Uh, Night 12, you have Kazushiko Okada, your A1 finalist. Six wins, one loss, 12 points. Your uh, your B2 finalist, Will Ospreay, six wins, two losses, 10 points. Following that, you have third place, Taichi, three wins, four, four losses, six points. El Fantasmo tied at six points. Tangaloa tied at six points. Kenta tied. And Great Okan, they're all tied at six points. And then... Um, the bottom of the block, Yoshihashi, two wins, five losses, four points. Uh, poor Yoshihashi. So uh, let's jump into our preview of the last two nights of the tournament uh, for the to determine who's going into the final eight. So for the C block, you have David Finley sitting at four wins, two losses at eight points. He's tied with Evil and Eddie Kingston, all with the same score. Tamatonga is at uh, seven points tied with Shingo Takagi. Mikey Nichols is at four points, and he's out, as well as Hanare with four points, and Tomohiro Ishii sitting at two points, and he is out. 
on the final evening of uh, C Block action on night 15, Tuesday, August 8th at Yokohama Budokan. Um, the tournament action is going to start after the uh, undercard. During that undercard, we have Kiyomiya Oiwa versus the United Empire's Great Okan and Jeff Cobb. Tomaki Hanma and Toriano versus uh, Bull Club War Dogs, Alex Coglin and Gabe Kidd. Hikaleo and Jado, along with Umino versus uh, the Strong Style Trio. Chaos, Goto and Yo, along with Oscar Luebe versus TMDK's uh, Fujita, Haste, and ZSJ. And then uh, to top that off, Tanahashi, Wato, and Makabe versus LIJ's Bushi, Naito, and Yotsuji. In the uh, tournament action here, we have Ishii versus Nichols, Tamatanga versus Hinari, Eddie Kingston versus David Finley, and Shingo Takagi versus Evil in the main event. Uh, Jeremy, I do have some of the uh, outcomes and scenarios here if you want me to kind of go over that. Sure, go for it. So uh, in the sixth match, Ishii and Nichols, they're both uh, mathematically eliminated. Uh, when it comes to the Tamatonga Hanare uh, match, Hanare is mathematically eliminated. Tamatonga is not. I'm gonna get. I'm not gonna get into the weeds with the high level explanations of everything. But basically, in order for Tamatonga to stay alive, he needs to win. Following that, uh, the eighth match of the night, Eddie Kingston versus David Finley. Whoever wins that match, the winner advances. And then in the main event, if Evil either has a win or a draw, he advances. And if Shingo wins, he advances. So while, yeah, Tamatonga is alive, if he wins, uh, he would basically need some sort of crazy... I don't even know what the scenario is, but he would need something crazy to happen where I think multiples of these people are drawing essentially for him to potentially even get a tie or something yeah, like that. Cause if, uh, if he, <clears throat> if he wins, he'll get to, uh, nine points and then Shingo would also get to nine if he wins. So they would be tied, but Shingo already beat him though. Right. So he is alive technically, and this is from the official new Japan website. So yeah, there is a scenario where if Tama wins, he could probably get a tiebreaker situation, but ultimately the simple logic of it all is Eddie Kingston versus David Finley, whoever wins that they're going through period. Yeah. And in the main event, if Shingo wins, he goes through. And if evil wins or draws, he goes through. So I think that if there's a draw scenario with Eddie Kingston and David Finley, and if Tamatonga wins, that creates a situation where he could potentially be the guy. Yeah. Cause then all of them would be at nine. And then if Shingo won, you would have like a four way, high at nine that could all work out for him somehow but i think it's going to be pretty simple like i know we all we have to explain scenarios because they're there but i feel like gail is not going to go with the, the complicated thing they haven't been doing the complicated thing but it's just there i think ultimately i wouldn't be surprised if any other scenario other than tamatonga wins occurs here whether that's hanari beating him whether that's a draw whether that's a double count out or some sort of disqualification or count out victory for Hanare, something like that can happen here. Yeah, I think Hanare is going to get the win here and that that'll put him up to six points, which would be a pretty good uh, record for him of uh, this being his second G1 in these uh, four block formats. I feel like um, that, that'll be a good record for him to have there. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see Hanare pulling the upset. And plus, um, you know, he, he's beating a former never open weight champion. It could be something that sets him up for a, a title match down the line. Well, 
And you know what? You know, I take that back. Now that I'm thinking a little bit more about it, because there's probably going to be a winner in in the semi-main event and the main event, Tamatonga could just win. It's not unlike the scenario that we saw in the A block where Suji needed to win to stay alive, but ultimately got disqualified just because of the nature of, of the main event, how it turned out. Mm-hmm. So... I wouldn't be surprised if Tama wins, he's alive, and then ultimately, you know, there's a winner in both the semi and the main event, and he just doesn't qualify. Yeah, that could definitely happen, but I, I feel like they'll, they'll get, I think they're going to give a win to Hanare here. Um, I feel like they have been trying to make these uh, earlier matches just kind of, the guy kind of losing to fully get them out of the tournament. So, yeah, I think is going to win. We did see Ishii and Nichols go head-to-head and uh, sort of attack each other a little bit after the bell during their preview match uh, the night before, so that might be pretty good. But really, it's a tale of two matches. It's really Eddie Kingston versus David Finley and Takagi versus Evil. Now, I got to tell you, I haven't done enough research to tell you if certain people win, how they're going, which uh, which of the C1 and C2 winners they're going to be. I don't know that information. But so, my feeling here is that David Finley is going to beat Eddie Kingston. And then I think Takagi is going to be evil, or at least that's what I'm hoping happens. That's what I'm feeling like, too. Uh, with, with Finley, I think it, it makes a lot of sense to have him beat Eddie Kingston. We, we talked about this on the preview show. Um, you know, Eddie was the one who beat Jay White to end his New Japan career officially. And so, and Finley was the one that kind of swooped in on that night and made his name. So I think it's kind of a full circle moment to have Finley beat uh, Eddie Kingston, do something that Jay White couldn't do to really establish him as a Bullet Club leader. And yeah, I think uh, Shingo is going to beat Evil. I mean, Evil's always getting gets in these spots where you, you, don't, you don't want him to win, so you can get some good crowd heat. There's history there with LIJ. And then based how the bracketing works out, um, if Shingo wins and becomes C2, he would face Sonata on the quarterfinal of a night. And we know we've seen this kind of, kind of matches. Yeah, we've seen this LIJ Just Five Guys rivalry, and Shingo's the one guy Sonata has not faced since he's uh, joined Just Five Guys. Yeah, we know that the C2 winner is going to go on to face Sonata in the final eight, and the C1 winner is going to go on to face Will Ospreay. Um, and yeah, that entire theory about the David Finley, Eddie Kingston, uh, outcome was, uh, first brought to my attention by, uh, Chris Samson when he was on the show during the preview and he really sold me on that idea and it's pretty much come to fruition. And he's a guy that literally has won his own prediction contest in this past. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I usually take, uh, you know, special, uh, consideration of his, uh, predictions, but I think that's what we're going to see here. I think Eddie Kingston loses to Dave Finley, and then I think Shingo beats Evil. Uh, the other reason, too, is because it's like I, I feel very confident Dave Finley is going through no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if Evil wins, you've got two guys from Bullet Club going through. That just doesn't kind of jive with me from the same block. I feel like it sort of needs to be Shingo. Yeah. So then that's so, it. That's going to bring us to uh, the D block here. Anything else you want to say about the C block before we move on? No, I think it's, it's a pretty cut and dry scenario. I, yeah, I think Finley and Chingo are the favorites there. And I think with their, their matchups, it, it makes the most sense. So if Finley gets C1, um, he will be going against Osprey. And we know that there's history there from last year's G1. 
And then, like I mentioned, with Chingo being C2, he'd face Sonata. Nice. So in the D block, you have uh, leading the block, Jeff Cobb and Zack Sabre Jr., as well as Tetsuya Naito, all tied at eight points, four wins, two losses. Following that, you have Hiroshi Tanahashi and Hiroki Goto, both alive with uh, three wins, three losses, sitting at six points. And then mathematically eliminated Shane Haste, Alex Coughlin sitting at four points, along with Toriano. Um, on night 16, uh, Wednesday, August 9th, at Axe City Hamamatsu, on the undercard, you have Eddie Kingston and Yuto Nakashima taking on the House of Torture's Evil Show. Keito Kiyomiya and Rihoi Oiwa versus Team DK's Kosei Fujita and Mikey Nichols. Hikaleo, Wato, and Umino taking on the Bull Club team of uh, Dave Finley, Gabe Kidd, and Ghetto. Tomoaki Hanuma and Tomohiro Ishii taking on the United Empire's Okan and Hanare. And then finally, the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, and Yotasuji taking on the Strong Style Trio. And then in tournament action, our final block matches of the tournament, you have Toriano versus Alex Coughlin, Shane Haste versus Jeff Cobb, Hiroki Goto versus Zack Sabre Jr., and your main event, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Tetsuya Naito. And the uh, the different scenarios that you have laid out. Uh, As far as the tournament matches go, Yano and Coughlin both eliminated. They're playing for pride. In the seventh match of the night, Shane Haste is mathematically eliminated, but Jeff Cobb is not. And if Jeff Cobb wins, he advances, period. Um, So that's a big one to look out for. In the eighth match of the night, Cobb and Zack Sabre Jr. are both alive. Sabre has to, on the evening, either outscore Naito or Cobb to go through. If he doesn't outscore one of those two guys, he's done win loss or draw doesn't matter goto will advance if he wins and tanahashi and jeff cobb lose so in order for goto to advance he has to win and both tanahashi and cobb have to lose on the evening otherwise he's out and then in the main event with tanahashi and naito if naito wins he advances Full stop, period. If Tanahashi wins, he has to win and um, a win for himself, Goto and Cobb advances Tanahashi. So the only way for Tanahashi to get through is if, if both Goto and Cobb win and he wins. And if that happens, then he goes through. Yeah, uh, I think pretty kind of clear scenarios here. Um, obviously, the, the first round of match, Yano and Coughlin, no, you know, big stakes there. I think Coughlin will get a, a win there to get to six points. Uh, for Haste and Cobb, just the way these cards are built, I feel like they try to make the, the semi-mains and mains, you know, the real kind of matches that mean something for the night. So I feel like Haste is going to pull an upset on Cobb here, uh, which then opens the door up for a potential Hiroki Goto getting through and then i think that saber will beat goto and then naito will beat tanahashi and saber and naito will get through i don't agree and here's why everything in the uh undercard like in the semi-main event and the main event kind of is all contingent on Cobb winning Mm. um because if Cobb doesn't win, 
Let me see. So, so if uh, Cobb wins, you think Goto's beating Saber? I don't. I don't. I think one foreigner and one domestic's gonna get through. I'm. I'm having trouble. Okay, so for instance, in the main event, right? Mm-hmm. The only way Tanahashi goes through is if he wins, Goto wins, and Cobb wins. Mm-hmm. So if Cobb doesn't win, or Goto doesn't win, and the match is taking place, then. Tanahashi has no chance of going through at all. Only Naito is playing to get through. And basically, Tanahashi would be playing spoiler mm-hmm. if Goto and Cobb didn't both win their matches. Yeah. That is possible. Like, you could just have him playing spoiler. And at that point, basically, that would, I, I'm guessing here, but I'm just kind of doing some quick math. It sounds like we would have a situation where, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and Goto both stand a chance to go through based on that outcome. And in the semi-main event, Sabre's whole thing is he just has to outscore Naito or Cobb. He's tied with both of them, but they're the two guys that beat him. So he he doesn't win a tiebreaker there, so he has to outscore them. Um, I'm wondering if Jeff Cobb doesn't potentially get into a... Three-way tie? No, I'm what. Well, at first I was thinking maybe like a draw. Oh, okay. So him and Hayes draw, and then he would go to nine points. But then at that point, Tanahashi is out because Tanahashi for Tanahashi, it's Goto and Cobb have to win. Right. So if your whole thinking here is that the drama of the main event needs to be high for both combatants then you would be predicting that Goto and Cobb win. Mm. Um, But for Goto to advance, he needs to win and Tanahashi and Cobb need to lose. So the only way that he can go through is if Cobb loses. So do you see what I'm saying there? Yeah. Goto needs Cobb to lose, but Tanahashi needs Cobb to win. And both matches are entirely contingent on that on that outcome from Cobb and a draw doesn't help either case. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little torn here to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Hats off to Gato. Did, did a good job. Uh, kind of booking this one to leading a lot of possibilities here. Um, I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like it's Saber and Naito should be the guys that go through, but I do too. But then again, you could do Cobb and Naito. Um, putting it on to, uh, you know, back into, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, uh, perspective, um, the D one winner is going to go on and face Hikaleo and the D two winner is going to go on and face Okada. And essentially you've got five guys alive. You've got Tanahashi, Goto, Zack Sabre, Naito, and Jeff Cobb. And it's, it's a really tough, there's a lot of variability here. I think Ultimately, no matter what Naito's going through, that's the one thing I'm pretty sure of. But I'm not, and I don't think Cobb's going through. No matter what happens, I think that he's fighting from beneath. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there's a possibility that either Goto or Zack Saber goes through. Yeah, I guess with 
uh, Goto's ribs, and I just don't know if, if he's going to be able to, to make it through the quarterfinals unless he's just doing a really great, great job uh, selling and working us. Okay, so we both think that it should be Saber and um, Naito. So how do we get there? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Well, if- because here's the thing: if Cobb wins and Naito and and Zack Saber wins, then Saber's out. Yeah. So if Cobb loses, he would be at eight. Still at eight, and then if Saber wins, that puts Saber ten, and then Tanahashi Naito. If Tanahashi would win, that would put him to eight. But he lost to Cobb right early in the tournament, so I'm wondering if like Goto and and Zack Saber go to like a a draw. I don't know. This is all I'm. I'm very because of the the way it's laid out. I'm very. I I can't predict this one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could have if they went to a draw. That would put Goto to seven and Saber to nine. But then he would just go through. Right, yeah. Because then, well, if Naito won, then Naito would get to to 10. And then. If Naito lost, right? And. Because Naito's at what, 8? Yeah, Naito's at 8. Goto can't go through without a win and a loss for Tanahashi and Cobb. So that wouldn't help him in any way. Mm-hmm. So a draw, a draw doesn't do anything. I'm. I'm I, I don't I'm know. stuck here. This is a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like they might just have Tanahashi in, the, in that spoiler role at the end. Here's the thing: either either Cobb's gonna win and heighten the uh, the meaningfulness of Tanahashi's match, or he's gonna lose and he's gonna heighten the the uh, importance of Goto's match. Yeah, one or the other, because everything about him. Is is important to Goto and Tanahashi one way or the other? As far as Zach goes, Zach has to outpoint him, and he's tied with him. So if he wins, Zach's out. Yeah. So I don't, and there's no way for Zach to get around that. So yeah, I think that I think it makes the most sense for Cobb to lose. He's going to get. You're right. He'll probably get upset by Shane Haste. And then at that point, it's basically Goto needs to win and have Tanahashi and Cobb lose to go through. Yeah. Saber just has to outpoint Cobb. Yeah. Hmm. And I think I think giving haste that win over Naito kind of gives him the strength to get an upset over Cobb also. Mm-hmm. But essentially, if Zach just beats Goto, then he's in. Yeah. And then in the main event, what would happen if Naito lost? That's so, what I'm wondering. If Naito loses, because Tanahashi's out at yeah. that point. So you're saying if, if, Ka- if Cobb loses also? If Zach wins and then Naito loses, who goes through? Then we know would, Zach goes through, but who else goes through? It would be Cobb, because Cobb has a tiebreaker over Naito, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they would they'd be tied at eight, and then Cobb would have the tiebreaker over Naito. So Cobb and Saber would go through. Okay. So then your main okay, perfect. So then that's your situation. Cobb loses. He's not eliminated. He's still alive. He needs Naito to lose, and and Goto to lose. Goto loses to Zach. Zach goes through as like your C two, and then ultimately Naito wins. He goes through. He's your or D. He's your D one, and he goes through and he fights Hikaleo, of course. <laughs> and then you have Zack Saber Jr. fighting off against uh, Okada. Yeah, which they they love doing Okada versus Saber in tournaments. So, <laughs> also, I, I just have to say, like, uh, D the D finals aren't looking so hot to me. I mean, like, I don't know. Neither night are look. Neither C or D's finals are like. C's much more appealing to me just for storyline purposes, but the yeah. D finals, I'm like Tanahashi and Naito in the main event. I don't know, man. And 2023. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think I think we are getting Zach and Naito to go through. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like that makes the, the most sense. And as far as star power and, and match quality, I think those are the two guys you, you want to get into the quarterfinals. Well, Cobb made me a believer this year in the tournament again, but the way it's structured doesn't seem to doesn't seem to work. You know what I mean? Unless right. Naito's just not going through, unless we're getting a Zach and a Cobb. Yeah, which, which is possible, I guess. Yeah, yeah they, could, they could do that. Which I don't know. It just would seem weird, but yeah, that, that takes us to uh, night seventeen, which will be this Thursday, August tenth. That will be the quarterfinals, like we mentioned. It'll be Sonata in the A1 spot. He'll take on the C2. And then uh, we'll have Kazuchika Okada as the B1. He'll take on the D2. And then the C1 will take on Will Ospreay, who's B2. And then the D1 will take on Hikaleo, who's the A2. And then we'll have the semifinals on Saturday, August 12th from Ryogoku. And then ultimately the finals of the tournament Sunday, August 13th from Ryogoku. All right, Jeremy, the, the rubbers met the road. I think we know where we're at. So who did we say was coming in in the C2 position? Shingo. Okay. So you've got basically the way we're laying it out. Sonata versus Shingo. Okada versus Zack Sabre Jr. Yep. David Finley versus Will Ospreay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Naito versus Hikaleo. Yeah. Okay. So let's go through that because first off, so who did we say Sonata's got? Shingo. Uh, Shingo yeah. I I say Shingo beats him because that way you can set up a fall defense against Shingo. Um, well, you know, who who is Okada fighting again? Saber. Saber. Okay. I think any three of those guys could hypothetically work. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to have some, there is a part of me that sort of feels like if if I'm still booking and believing that Naito is going to be the guy to take the title off Sonata and he's going to win this whole thing, which is possible. Maybe the story should be that he just beat that Sonata just beats Shingo as opposed to Shingo beating him in the tournament and then getting the title shot. I don't know. 
Yeah, because um, cause, I don't know. The way I'm thinking, I'm booking it out to where the finals ends up being Shingo and Naito. Mm. And Shingo loses, but he's still going to get a towel shot because he beats Sonata in the fall. And then your Tokyo Dome main event is Sonata and Naito. And by that by that point, Sonata would have beaten all the LIJ heavyweights. And Sonata would be the last one that he would have, to, or Naito would be the last one he would have to topple. So I'm guessing that you're supposing that Zack Sabre Jr. is going to lose to Kazushika Okada. Yeah, and so I would put, yeah, Shingo versus Okada, which uh, they had a match earlier this year, which Okada won. So you could have Shingo get the win back here and beat Okada. Is there any argument for Okada beating Sonata in this point of the tournament and then being the guy that gets the title shot? Oh, definitely. I mean, if you if they don't want Sonata going to the Dome, yeah, you have Sonata beat Shingo, and then you have Okada beat Saber. Do Okada Sonata? Okada beat Sonata. And if he doesn't win a G one, then yeah, you do a fall defense and you, you flip the belt. Yeah, I was gonna say, especially if you want to flip the belt, that might be the way you go. You have Okada beat him now, and then beat him again in October, <laughs> and then Okada walks into the dome with the strap. <laughs> uh, I think I like your booking though. I think we're going to see Okada versus Shingo. Shingo beats Okada to go to the finals, especially since Shingo has beaten Okada in the past, especially in the G1. Yeah. All right. Well, let's look at the other side and just kind of see. So we've got Will Ospreay versus David Finley and then Naito against um, Hikaleo. I think Naito's a shoe in to go through against Hikaleo no matter what. Yeah. So it's really a, a, a situation of who are we going to see go through between David Finley and Osprey. And they've got history. We've seen them last year in this tournament. They had that great match uh, following the tournament for the U.S. title. And right now, I am wondering if David Finley is not going to beat Osprey. I've thought about that, but I feel like with the the history of Osprey and Naito from last year's G one and Osprey beat or was it Osprey that beat Naito to get through uh, last year? Um, he did, but at the same time, it's like okay, what's next for the U.S. title after this? True. Yeah, I know there's the rumors about you know Will potentially working. Uh, the the Wembley show against Chris Jericho and everything like that. But realistically right now, he doesn't have a challenger lined up. There hasn't been a credible person to beat him in the tournament other than say Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really alluded to anything concerning that. Um, but Finley's still the never champion. Oh, that's right. You can do a, a, a double gold dash. <laughs> I didn't think of that. I forgot about the never title. Huh, the U.S. champ and the never champ. Hmm. So we're thinking Osprey goes through, him and Naito have the great match, and then you have Okada and Shingo, and then you wind up with Shingo and Naito finals. And Naito finals. And remember how great that match was a few years ago in the G1. It's true. I'm also like, what if we what if we get Shingo and Osprey and Osprey wins? 
<laughs> Dude, I, I, I did think about that. I'm like, what, you know, but also, would they do Osprey Shingo when they're about to do it at Rev Pro? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a great point. Which, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. Like, it's two different audiences, but. No, I- they would not do that. They would <laughs> never let Rev Pro have, you know, a, a rematch from the G1 finals. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I was thinking. I was like, if that wasn't happening, maybe yeah, Osprey Shingo could be the finals to you know the, the next step in their rivalry. But yeah, I feel like it's gonna be Shingo Naito because then obviously both guys want to face Nada for leaving Lij. What about this? Shingo might lose to Okada. Shingo beats Sonata. I think that's what's happening. I, I'm 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 flipping the script on you right now. Okada Shin- Okada Naito final. I think Shingo is going to beat Sonata and have the claimant from winning that match that I can get a title shot, but then he loses to Okada in the semifinals because there's the whole story there. S- Okada three times in a row, blah blah blah, you know, mm-hmm. and then you have Okada Naito, which is a huge money match that they've done to death before so much so that i thought it could even be the main event of tokyo dome this year again for a fourth <laughs> time and yeah i think we're gonna get okada naito in the finals mm. i mean i don't think Shingo's gonna beat okada and then turn around and lose to sonata uh, i mean i don't know i feel confident about this jeremy trust me <laughs> i think this is what's happening <laughs> I know that we want to see Shingo and Naito again, but this just makes the most sense to me. I think a a, a, fi- a G1 final, and it's it, it's Okada Naito, and there's the story Okada going for his third ever, and Naito chasing that one last chance at redemption. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's the story. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, either way, you're going to get a great match regardless of who makes it to the finals there, whether it's Okada Naito or Shingo Naito. But we're both in agreement that Naito's probably winning, right? I think Naito's winning. Unless Gato wants to do his, his three-peat booking and, and Okada wins. The least likely scenario is Hikaleo winning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dude, if this man advances in the semifinals. Uh, it's, this is so crazy. And bro- <laughs> oh, man. Well, they yeah. really don't want to give us Kiyomi and Okada. They really don't want to do it, dude. I'm I'm still yeah puzzled by that. Like you you know it's a big match that people want to see, but clearly New Japan it's not a big match for them. So next week, Jeremy will be gallivanting all over Europe, eating baguettes and doing whatever it is that they do in Europe, and I will be on the show reviewing the uh, final block matches the. In the final eight and the finals and all that with Chris Samsa. So um, that is going to do it for our preview. And uh, let's jump into the news here. So the new all, what is it? AJS All-Star, All-Star, All-Star Junior. Junior Festival participants and matches have been announced. Uh, added uh, participants, Francesco Akira, Fugaz, the DKC, Rizuki Taguchi, Chris Bay, Kevin Knight, Sobrano Jr., and there will be a one-night tournament, uh, four men, singles matches, Francesco Akira versus Mike Bailey and Kevin Knight versus Clark Connor was announced. In addition to that, 
the Multiverse United 2 um, show has also, uh, they've had an added match where it's Zack Sabre Jr. and Shane Hayes taking on Moose and Eddie Edwards. For the Rep Pro show coming up, uh, which Rep Pro show is this? The anniversary yeah, show? Yeah, the uh, 10th anniversary. Um, there was an announcement that it was going to be ELP taking on Gabe Kidd and David Finley with a special mystery partner, and they have now announced that Katsuri Shibata will be his mystery partner. So it'll be ELP and Shibata versus Gabe Kidd and David Finley. Um, in other news, Fujita and Eagles will be uh, teaming up on a World Series of Wrestling tour October 6th through 13th. Fantastic Mania UK was announced for September 23rd as the best wrestlers of Red Pro will be uh, matching up against the best wrestlers from CMLL. On August 13th, Stardom X Stardom. What? Oh, why is it called Stardom X Stardom? Uh, I don't know. That, that's what it's called. <laughs> Julia will be defending the NJPW Strong Women's title against you. <laughs> and Maya Iwatani will be defending the IWGP Women's heavyweight world champion chip against Utami Hayashishta. Nice. And then we have a few questions here and then we'll get to a recommended match of the week. So first here from uh less commission, seven, two, five, two says who have had the best excursion returns and who has the best impact coming out of that return. I'm excluding Hiromi's return because he was the second best behind a return in 2012. Who's third in y'all opinion. Uh, I mean, there have been other people that have had very strong returns from excursion <laughs> in the past, not just counting the Bushi Road era. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'd probably go with like, like Kiji Muto slash the Great Muda. That'd probably be my pick. Yeah. Um, also, I didn't watch any of that stuff, but that, that would make sense. I mean, I guess just from like the Liger, Liger's another strong candidate mm. as well. Yeah. I guess from the Bushi Road area, who would you say would be after Okada and Hiromu? Maybe Jay, Jay. White? Yeah. Maybe Jay. Yeah. Uh, it says, who has the best G1 upset win over Tanahashi from 2016 to 2023? I would have to go with Zack Sabre Jr. since it elevated him from mid-card to challenging for the IC Championship, winning the New Japan Cup, and then becoming a main eventer challenging the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Guys that are including this list by year are Sonata, Saber, Jay White, Will Ospreay, Aaron Hanare, and now Alex Coughlin. Um, yeah, I was gonna say uh Zach Saber's probably one of those strong names. Um Sonata, I love that Sonata match. Like where Sonata just comes in and beats Tanahashi. It was highly unexpected. I mean, it, it didn't necessarily elevate him the way you think it would, but it's still I love that match. I don't know. Um, yeah, that was a really fun match. Will Will definitely got a elevation off of that match is that when he beat him at the end of uh, what was it, the 2019 tournament. Yeah, and he was still a junior uh, in that 2019 tournament. That that elevated Will to go um, open weight challenge um, Abushi for the Never Title. You know, he said 2016 to 2023, but I think just prior to that, there was that famous Tomohiro Ishii win in what was it, 2015 i think that's gotta be mm. i know it, it's not the parameters he wants but yeah he he hits uh, i forget the, the name of the move but the the sitting pile driver thing that he his special super finisher that he does like that match is fucking incredible and i'd probably put that over all of these mm, well, of course it's easy <laughs> yeah 
Uh, his last question says, who, what's a better surprise, Shibata random appearances or Kojima X re- returns? I don't care. <laughs> uh, Hawaiian Punch BV, thoughts on the Paul Diaz fight? Do you think Nate would have won if he was in his prime and motivated? No, but you know what? I, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I knew this was going to happen necessarily, but I, I can't say I sat here and I predicted what was going to take place. But it did kind of play out in hindsight exactly the way that I, I knew it could play out because it's like, okay, Nate Diaz, sure, has he quote-unquote sparred with boxers in the past and in the gym? Sure. Like, you hear those stories. And, like, does he have good boxing for MMA? Sure. But he doesn't have boxing fundamentals. So, yeah, he lost the the match on the scorecards to uh, Jake Paul. But Jake Paul, it, it proved a lot of different things. Number one, it proved to me that Jake Paul has good boxing fundamentals on a very rudimentary level. And he was able to hurt Nate very, very badly in the early goings of the match. But as time went on, it showed me that like, he doesn't have that dog in him to fight a real fight. Like when it gets scrappy and someone starts giving you some actual shit, and some real fire, he don't got that. Chin. He doesn't <laughs> have that heart. He's not a fighter fighter. He's not someone that can grit down and sit in the pocket and go to war. He doesn't have that kind of skill set. On the flip side of things, Diaz, he wasn't the few times he popped out his jab, he had great success with it. But for the most part, he just literally walked through a hellstorm and didn't have any real rudimentary boxing. But he just started like slap boxing this man and just started <laughs> fucking him up. It was hilarious. The fact that any bro, I, I guarantee you that any competent boxer worth their salt fighting Nate Diaz in a boxing match would have stopped him in the first 45 seconds to minute of that fight. Not because Nate Diaz isn't, you know, a tough guy, but because like they would have been able to string stuff together and just get him the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. That's how bad, that's how incompetent J- or Nate was when it comes to the boxing game. But Jake doesn't have the know-how to string together that sort of stuff to actually do it. And he didn't have that dog in him. And Nate was able to walk through everything he gave him. Yeah, he got dropped once in the fight. But for the most part, he was able to weather the storm. And he came on strong in in the second half of the fight. He started fucking up Jake Paul. It was embarrassing, bro. If you're a boxer and you let this non-boxing motherfucker come into your world and just start piecing you up down the stretch... Like it was so bad. Like, and it showed me like Nate Diaz got a, a heart of a lion. Um, you know, a monster chin was he ate some monstrous shots and he just gobbled them up and walked through them. And he he kind of was beating the fuck out of uh Jake Paul down the stretch. He probably won two or three of the rounds out of ten, but still, regardless, he was like the guy that the crowd was completely behind. Like you know, when his prime and if he is motivated, he would not have won that fight. But it, it if what would have changed it is if he trained in boxing, if he mm. actually knew how to throw a jab and if he knew how to give some head movement, give him some different looks and work and pop and work from the outside and everything like that. Yeah, he could have won that fight. Also asked, are you excited for the tease title matches from the recent Glate show, Hiromi versus Minoru Tanaka for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title? And Vegeta Jr. Hayato versus Minoru Zuki for the Ledet UWF title. 
Are you also excited for Hiromu vs. Rising Hayato on an upcoming AJPW show? Should we expect more sexual tension? I don't know what you're talking about when it comes to the sexual tension, but because um, I don't watch other Japanese professional <laughs> wrestling. I tried to, but I just, you know, we don't have the time. But uh, yeah, all those sound great, especially uh, Junior Hayato versus uh, Suzuki. That sounds awesome. And then uh, Hiromu versus Bernard Tanaka. That's, yeah, that would probably rock. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Adam Sensei A2 says If you could have dinner with any NJPW wrestler Living or dead from any time period Which restaurant would you take Yota Tsuji to and why <laughs> <laughs> I would take him to Whataburger <laughs> uh, I don't know where I'd take the, the Gene Blast uh, I feel like I, he needs to go to like a uh, One of those like all like a, uh, One of the meat places Where they just keep bringing you meat you mean a Brazilian steakhouse? Yeah, a Brazilian steakhouse. Yeah, yeah. Take him to Red Lobster, dog. <laughs> Get him some uh, Cheddar Bay biscuits. Then <laughs> uh, uh, three questions here from the Dark Soldier. First says, "Who do you feel was wasted in a past G one? Someone you felt lost way too much, or generally was put in a position to look bad? I think of Juice in twenty eighteen, mostly because there was no aftermath, and even go to the same year, given he was never champion and had six points. Give me your thoughts." I, my first thought that always comes to mind when someone gives me a question like this is juice from that specific year. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm copying your answer, but like it, it was egregiously bad. Right. I mean that that is the answer. Um, yeah, coming off that big win uh, from San Francisco from beating Jay White and then going to that G one and just he was so hot and they they fucked him over so bad and then he just lost the title to Cody. Yeah, sad. Um, he says, uh, young boy, is the KOPW title still the second top title in NJPW? I know Taichi beat Osprey, the U.S. champ, but Taichi ended with six points and lost to Divide champion Kenta. What's going on? Yeah, uh, you know, the, the Southwest, the Pacific Southwest coming up, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Defy B. <laughs> Uh, his last question are Shibata and Kushida even New Japan guys anymore? Shibata at this point is an ROH guy, and Kushida an Impact guy. Hell, someone like Minoru Suzuki is an America indie star. What is going on? He's not wrong. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I, I, we don't know what's going on with Shibata. Kushida, I guess, wants to wrestle in America more, and so is Suzuki. So I, I don't know what's what's going on with those guys. <laughs> Well, that's going to take us uh, to your recommended match of the week. Uh, so last week for the uh, excursion, I picked uh, the anniversary match from uh, this year, the Ultimate X match that featured Gresham versus Kushida versus Bailey versus Jake Something versus Alan Angels versus Kevin Knight. Yep, this is available on New Japan World, so if you want to check it out, it is there. Um, very good match. I wouldn't call it a great match, although it could have been a great match. A lot of great talent involved, and it was well on its way to being something that was truly excellent, but they had about, I think, just under 12 minutes. The match only goes like 11 minutes, and in the early goings, like you see some crazy stuff here, especially from Mike Bailey, um, just and, and Alan Angels too, flying all over the place. Kevin Knight, um, really great laid out stuff. But out of nowhere, like the match is going, 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 and then there's some downtime, and then suddenly, 
uh, everyone starts going for the X, and the story just becomes Alan Angels hitting low blows on. He's a heel, so Alan Angels starts low blowing everybody and getting them out of there, and they they're kind of just eliminated. And it's like, all right, then it's just Alan Angels and Kushida, and Kushida dispenses of him, and then he just grabs the X, <laughs> and it's just over. And it's like, oh, I thought that didn't feel like that should have been the crescendo. Like it seemed like they kind of got the order to go home out of nowhere. Mm. And they were cooking before that. Like they were doing some really, I mean, there was one point where uh, Mike Bailey went all the way to the tip, tip top of the, the, the state, whatever you want to call it. Like I, the, I don't know what the, the word the structure, is. X structure of the poles. Yeah, the hold X up. structure. He went all the way to the top of the X structure and moonsaulted off of it and it was really awesome and some great stuff there even jonathan gresham was getting with the flips and everything but <laughs> it just ended abruptly i'd probably go like three and a half it, mm. it could have been better it just ended so out of nowhere gotcha uh then for the recommended match you uh, chose uh, i botched i fucked up here <laughs> uh chono versus hase from the uh 93 g1 yeah, I thought that I sent you the full match, and then I realized I didn't send you the full match. Yeah, it's all good. I was watching it today. I was like, five minutes, like a four and a half match is five minutes. This, <laughs> was, this is going to be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I sent you the full match, bro, and I didn't. Uh, and I tried looking for it. It's it's hard it's to find. It's hard to find. It's really hard to find now. But I, I did. I did watch the the five minute like, clips that they had there. And from what I saw, it was it's great. pretty awesome. Yeah, dude. Uh, starts off where uh, Chono hits this uh, big lariat and a power bomb for a near fall, and then he does the the figure four, and they they roll out to the ring, and he refuses to let go of the hole, and uh, they start the, the count there. We got a near uh, count out. But then uh, Hase comes back. He hits these beautiful uh, Uranagis, and then he hits another in lights. But he, he he couldn't hold the bridge because of the figure four messing up his legs. He he dropped. He had from, tape all over the knee too, and it was very clear he was dealing with some sort of leg injury, which was why Chono was focusing on it. Yeah. Um. So eventually, he was able to hit another lights again. Got a near fall. Chono's hitting these uh, big hits to the head. Uh, fights off um, the Yurinagi. Hits the DDT there, and I didn't write down the finish. I think uh, Hase won that, right? Yeah, he hits him. Uh, Hase puts him into like a. Uh, oh, that's what the STF like choke thing. It's like yeah. an STF leg slicer. Like he, I don't even know. It it's basically like a, a, a. Um, it's a slicer. He puts him in a slicer hold where he also chokes him out, and he gets the one, two, three, and it just kind of comes out after he hits him with uh, with a giant crazy lariat where they both fall down. Like they're selling the exhaustion. And the crowd is ravenous during yeah. this entire thing, dude. From the the, the powerbomb near fall, like they were like losing their minds. Well, if you recall, that's the move that he beat that Chono beat Muto with in the nineteen ninety one final, mm-hmm. two years prior to this. So we gotta find that full match because it's one of the best New Japan nineties matches. It's not available on World. I thought I found a link to it, but I did not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and um, so once maybe one day when we find that we could actually watch the full thing, Jeremy. I know you were going to give me a recommended match of the week, but I think that you're leaving town, so I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to <laughs> do. 
So for the next few weeks, I'm just going to focus on excursion match of the week. I'm just going to recommend myself a, a match every week and review that and just kind of help us with award season. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> coming up pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, and there's so many there's so many excursion matches going on all the time. So I'm just going to try and focus on that. I think maybe this week I'll watch that Rocky Romero Mascara Dorada match that's on CMLL on mm. YouTube. So maybe I'll do that or something but um yeah um by the way congratulations on your anniversary thank you sir so jeremy uh where are you going what are you doing yeah so uh thursday we'll be flying out to london direct flight from tampa to london and then uh from there we'll be getting on a uh, cruise at least from southampton england uh doing uh, the british Isles. so we'll be hitting up england scotland ireland and france when in scotland we'll be going to glasgow i will be meeting up first time in person with ricky clive and murray bone muzza so wow. that's gonna be uh pretty cool meeting up with those guys for the first time and uh yeah, dude. maybe you can uh, get them to uh, record podcasts again. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I need to you know fly over there, sweeten the deal for them. You know, get a new contract, <laughs> get a new contract for them. Um, and then uh, after we get off the cruise, it's a twelve day cruise. We'll get off of that. Then we'll head over to Paris, stay there for a couple days, and then head back. Bro, be careful in Paris. Let's get over there. I, I, I've been seeing some you know some gang warfare going on over there. Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, we'll head back to London, which will conclude the trip with uh, Wembley Stadium all in. And then I'll fly back the day after Wembley. In the copper box. Maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so that that's what I'm doing. So, yeah, I'll be flying out Thursday and I'll be back on the 28th just in time for us to record episode 300 which uh, we already have uh, a big interview in the can. Uh, I guess we can just announce it now since it's already locked and loaded. Our good friend Rocky Romero did an interview with us for episode 300. And I got to say, it's probably the best Rocky interview that we've it, done. It's the best one we've done with him by far. It, I was kind of shocked at some of the <laughs> <laughs> You guys will hear, but it's a great interview. But there's a few things like... You know, I, I well, you know, uh, let me just talk about it a little bit. So, yeah. like in the past, right? Rocky's always been cool with us. Rocky's, a, you know, a great friend of the show, and it's always been very awesome that he's been willing to come on and do interviews with us. But one thing that has always kind of existed, and this is sort of known by us, is that New Japan sort of exists in this quasi kayfabe sort of, you know, nebulous sort of space. So when we like do interviews with guys, we don't always expect a hundred percent that everything is on the level. You know what I mean? We think right. we're, you know, we, we always know we're going to have a little bit of working going on. It's a little bit of wink, wink, nudge, 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 hint, hint going on. You know what I mean? And with Rocky, it's kind of always been that way. And uh, he's always been very gracious with his time and his answers and, and everything like that. But there's always been a little bit of like, yeah, we're working a little bit, but we're also shooting and it, you know, that's just what it is but this time bro like we tried <laughs> to like give him a couple of those and he just was like completely a hundred percent transparent and like open with everything and I, like in ways that i was not e exactly expecting i was like oh damn like 
this man's going in. <laughs> do, you, do you know that people are going to listen to this and aggregate it? Do you know what aggregation is? It's not AI. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's some really good. Um, it, it is a little bit dated because we record it before the G1. So not everything that is discussed in the episode is going to be 100% up to date. But it's a great interview. Probably the best one we've ever done with him. And he is extreme. This is the most candid he's ever been with us. Um, and I feel like we, I've listened to his interviews a lot. I feel like this is the best one I've ever heard. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. Really good stuff. I think that we answered, we got a lot of answers to questions that a lot of people have had, uh, especially this year. Um, so yeah, it's definitely be good stuff to look out for that coming up. And there's some stuff in there that like, I can't, we're not going to give it away just yet, but like there's stuff in there that I did not expect to get like, you know, information about where i'm like oh shit that's blowing my mind right now so trust me if you're a new japan fan you want to hear that episode yeah um, so make sure you're, you're locked in hit that subscribe button that'll be coming up in uh three weeks episode 300 next week i'll be back here on the show with a friend of the show chris samso will be reviewing the g1 climax jeremy i'm i promise you i'll do you proud i'll do the recap and I'll get, I'll do all the shit, all of it. It's going to get done. <laughs> um, and then the week following that, uh, we have not locked everything down just yet, but we, I will be reviewing the all-star junior festival as well as the impact slash new Japan multiverse United. We stand divided. We fall, whatever blah, blah, blah <laughs> show um, that as it stands right now, that show is going to be a solo show. I did reach out to one individual that I wanted to record the show with. And I was like, brother, can you come on? And they're like, yeah, but I don't have the, here's, here's what I'll say. If you're out there and you're a content creator and you want to be on this show, the, the, the invitation is open. If you want to watch those shows and you want to come on and you want to record the review with me, we can do it. Here's the one catch. I do not have the ability to record the show <laughs> and to do all that. So you have to be adept at recording and uploading uh, the content. And if you are listening and you are a content creator, hit me up. Let me know if that's what you'd like to do and I'll consider it. It's not a hundred percent guarantee that I'll do it because ultimately it still might be easier for me to do the solo show. But if I'm interested, we can definitely link up and potentially get that going. Otherwise, that will be a solo show. Nice. So, yeah, you got the keys to the castle for the, the next two weeks. So, should be, uh, you know, fun stuff. I won't burn the house down, hopefully. <laughs> uh, well, you come back and we're no longer on X. <laughs> the, the network's over. Keeping strong styles over. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, that's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Like Josh said, next week will be with uh, Chris Samsa to review the conclusion of G1 Climax 33. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation to visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter or X, whatever it's called nowadays, at KI Strong Style, at Social Suplex, at Jeremy L. Donovan, on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex, on Instagram and threads, at KI Strong Style, at Social Suplex, on Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy, 
Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuitbooks.com. Check out our YouTube channel, Social Suitbooks Podcast Network, and check out all the other shows that we have here on the network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd, Jonathan Jr., and Austin Summerwitz. And the Wrestling Disaster, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your bum. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.